My name is Bill Wellens, and um, Rob and Lloyd are down at the Franklin campus uh, this morning, and so uh, they needed someone to preach up here in Brentwood, and the uh, first 10 guys they asked said no, and so here I am. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. I really am. Uh, for those of you I don't know, I, I am back today to, to teach. I was on staff here for 17 years, a teaching pastor for the majority of that time, and so I hope I get the chance to, to meet you and know you as well. Our, our family goes to fellowship. Our kids are involved in student ministry. I'm actually leading a small group of seventh grade boys, and uh, I was just asking my friend Jerry Rooker right down here, how did you do this with seventh grade boys? He did it for several years prior, so we're involved here. We love being here, and it's so good for me to be up here and with you uh, this morning. You know, when I was a kid uh, growing up, I, uh, I was a really good kid. I, I didn't lie or cheat. I didn't cuss. I didn't drink. As I got into high school, I, I, um, I respected adults, um, and it was genuine respect for adults. I, I read the Bible. Uh, I prayed. I went to church. I was involved in a church. I was baptized. I, I even journaled, wrote things when I when I read my Bible, and um, the truth is I, I knew a whole lot of things about God, and, and I made some good choices. I'm grateful for that, but I also was dissatisfied in my spiritual life. I always felt like I was missing something, and it wasn't until my late 20s that, that I really realized that I had never allowed God to really penetrate the deeper recesses of my heart places where I felt vulnerable and broken and fragile. I'll give an example of that. My, my emotional life up until my late 20s was very disconnected from my spiritual life. I, I thought uh, to feel something was wrong. Like I, I was scared to feel. You're not supposed to feel angry or sad or confused. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to feel joyful and hopeful and, and happy. I was confused by that. So when I would have these feelings that were sad or hard or painful or whatever, I just kind of stuff them and try to push them back and just kind of hide that part of my life from, from Christ. I didn't have much like desire or this deeper longing in personal relationship with God. I just kind of did relationship with God. Do you know what I mean? Just kind of did it. Uh, I, I, it's all about knowing and doing. And so, you know, I, after a while, there was enough pain in my life where just kind of knowing and changing my behavior, and learning something, and changing my behavior, it just, it wasn't enough. There was something about me that was still broken. My heart wasn't made full. All I knew was that I wanted more. I realized that I was a lot like the religious leaders that Jesus talks to in the Gospels, who were, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. They're so clean and good on the outside, but they're dying on the inside. That was true about me. Some of you are like me. Some of you are very different from me. Maybe you're just the opposite of me. You grew up and, and you were just crazy wild growing up. You chased everything and uh, did all the things you're not supposed to do and pursued all the things that this world has, has to offer. And maybe you came up empty too. You probably did or you wouldn't be here. You came up empty. Your heart was broken. Your soul was never fully satisfied. You know, two different roads to a very similar end. 
And over the last seven weeks, we've uh, been in a series here as a church. Rob and Lloyd have been taking us through a series called Wholehearted, right? We've talked about wholehearted life in Jesus Christ. And they showed us from the scripture where the biblical term for heart, all that it means, the mind, the will, the emotions, the actions, that's the core, the center of our being is the heart. So we talk about living wholehearted. We're actually talking about four different things. They put them up here on the side screens. I'll throw them up here for you. Talked about our thoughts, our desires, our emotions, and our choices. How do we live changed? How do we live with full hearts? We talked about our mission, glorify God and, and make disciples by helping people find wholehearted life in Christ. How our core values guide us to that very end. And we said this, we said that wholehearted life in Jesus Christ, in other words, wholehearted change is the process of those four things uniting to find my deepest longings and greatest hopes are satisfied in Jesus Christ alone. That's what we said. That's the wholehearted life. You see, I, I was trying to find that deep level of satisfaction in the top two quadrants, thoughts and choices. I had two of the four, right? But it wasn't enough. I was missing something. Maybe you lived, like I described a moment ago, out of your desires and made choices that attempted satisfaction through your desires, choices that were about yourself, your own selfish ways of living. And, and that didn't quite get you there. That left you broken because you hadn't gone up into the mind and discovered the truth about who God is. See, all those things have to come together. And as I was sitting through this series, my mind kept going to stories in the Bible, personal encounters with Jesus, where someone experienced this transformation, this genuine whole heart kind of change. And so my mind kept going there, and then I turned to one, and, and as I read it, I, I just couldn't believe how marvelous Jesus is at engaging this person's whole heart. And so that's what I want to do this morning. So I want to take us through a story that's basically an illustration of the series. It's an example of what we've been talking about in the real life of Jesus Christ and the woman at the well. It's a familiar story, but I've never looked at it through this four-part lens before. You know, I thought about the story. I've been in the story often. I'm taking some principles out of the story and applied them to my life. But I thought this week, have I ever let this story really penetrate my heart the way that it does the woman? And I don't think I have. This has been a powerful week for me, and I, I hope the Lord will do the same in your life as well. You see, the wholehearted life is not just what we're about as a church. It's what Jesus is about. That's why we'd go there in the first place. So I want you to take out your Bible, if you will, and turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I'm going to read two sections of John chapter 4, and then I'm going to read one verse at the end. Um, we don't have time to read it all, but you'll get the gist of the story, and it's certainly the parts that we want to look at today. John chapter 4. I'm going to begin in verse 3. I'm going to go to verse... 18, and then I'm going to pick it back up in verse uh, 25 and go through 30 and then conclude with 39. So I'll, I'll, I'll bounce around, but I'll, I'll tell you when I'm changing, changing speeds here. And, and as you listen to this story, let, let me say this to you. As you listen this morning, I, I want to invite you to really feel the story. Okay, don't, don't just listen for content, like, so we get the facts right. We, a lot of us know this story. It's a pretty familiar story to some, but not just so you get the facts right, but feel it. I want you to imagine, as you're listening to it, imagine that you're watching it on the screen. Imagine that you're watching a movie. How are Jesus and this woman interacting? 
Where do you sense emotion in the movie? Where do you sense tension and dissatisfaction? How does Jesus appeal to her thoughts and appeal to her emotions and her desires? Enter in just a little bit more and stay with me because it's a little longer than something we might typically read. So stay with me as I go. Chapter 4, verse 3. Jesus left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and you knew who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a wellspring of water, or well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now the woman asked Jesus a question about worship. We're going to skip that section and drop down to verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot, went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Verse 39. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. Okay? Now, I said this, we're going to take these four quadrants, this four-part lens, and we're going to look at the story through that gaze or through that lens. And I'm going to put them up here just so you can see it. I'm going to give you just a brief outline for the story. We'll begin with our thoughts. We'll find that in John 4, 7 through 10. That's the first section. Then desires, John 4, 11 through 15. Then we'll step over here to emotions. We'll see that in that text. And then we'll finish up here with her choices. So how does God or Jesus, how does he appeal to her thoughts, to her desires, to emotions? And then what choices does she then make? Okay, so we're going to stop in this, start in this top right quadrant. Jesus challenges her thinking. Okay, how does Jesus challenge her thinking? Well, he does something here that completely disrupts the cultural status quo. How does he do that? By asking for a drink. Well, wait, what? He asked for a drink and that 
disrupts the cultural status quo? Well, yes, actually it does. There's a whole lot behind that question. And it's not so much about asking for a drink as it is who he's asking, okay? Jesus is breaking all kinds of cultural norms here. First, Jesus is a man, of course, and he's speaking to a woman alone, unacceptable in the religious culture of the day. Second, and far more important, Jesus is speaking, Jesus, a Jew, is speaking to a Samaritan, Woman, a Jew is speaking to a Samaritan, and the Jews and the Samaritans, they have this intense hatred for one another. This has gone on for centuries. It was certainly true here in the first century. may have been actually at a peak here right as Christ comes because that begins to get resolved with the gospel as the gospel goes forth. But right now we're at the peak of this tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. And there's a lot of reasons for the tension that are religious and political and socioeconomic, cultural, all kinds of reasons for the tension. I'll give you a couple now. Uh, The first is I'll, I'll just say this. About 150 years before the Jews, that is the Jews from Judea, which is just south of Samaria, had gone in and leveled the temple of the Samaritans on Mount Gerizim. They did that because they believed that the temple shouldn't be at Mount Gerizim, it should be in Jerusalem. So there's massive issues over the proper place to worship, which is one of the reasons she asked Jesus that question in the section that I skipped over. Secondly, the Jews hate the Samaritans because when the Assyrians came in and conquered Israel, some of the Jews went south and and intermarried with other Jews. Some Jews stayed in what's now Samaria in the first century, what's now Samaria, and intermarried with the Assyrians, so they called them half-breeds. The Samaritans weren't good with that. You can imagine, we live in a very tense world today. You can imagine what these racial and ethnic dynamics are like. It's very intense. There's an intense hatred for each other. And it becomes so bitter that they don't even want to talk to one another. They're disgusted with each other. It's a whole lot like Alabama and Auburn fans. Okay, you try with me. Only Jesus is different. He was a Tennessee fan, right? Yeah, no. Only Jesus is different. In verse 3, it says, Jesus left Judea. Look, look at this. Verse 3, Jesus left Judea, went away again into Galilee. And here's the key phrase. He had to, had to pass through Samaria. Now, I want to make too much of this because we don't know all that Jesus is thinking when, when he says this here, when John says this about him here. But I, I do want you to understand this. And I'm going to put a map up here on these side screens for just a minute. It's a little bit difficult to see. I'll try to walk you through it as best I can for those who can't see it. But down at the bottom in the far south is, is Judea. Actually, not all the way at the bottom, but just up from there is, the, is Judea. That's where Jesus is. He's going to Galilee, which is all the way north by the Sea of Galilee. You see that little body of water up there in the top right? Galilee is just to the left of that. So Jesus is going from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. All that's in between Judea and Galilee is Samaria. So it makes sense that Jesus would go through Samaria to get to Galilee because that's the shortest, most direct route. And I'll show you that that map. This would be the map that Jesus would take. Okay, That's from Judea to Galilee. So it makes sense that he would do that, only there's this problem. Pious Jews would not go that route. Pious Jews would actually go a a second route, and that one will come up here, where they go east across the Jordan River, 
north outside the border of Samaria, back across the Jordan River and into Galilee. And they would do that and they would go all that way, which was much, much farther. And they would do it just because they didn't want to set foot on Samaritan soil. That's hatred, isn't it? And it's intense. But Jesus had to go this route, this direct route through Samaria. Why? Because he had a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman at a well. That's why. Because there was a woman at a well who had a broken heart. Jesus had to go there. So Jesus arrives at this well. This woman comes to get water. Jesus opens his mouth. And as soon as he asks for a drink, he challenges everything she knows to be true about relationships with Jews. He got her thinking, right? How can this guy be saying anything to me? He's a Jew. Look at how she responds. This is exactly what she says. Verse 9. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman for Jews have no... It's like, yeah, 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 we get it now, right? Jews and Samaritans, how can this possibly be? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. How, she asked how, how is a thinking question, right? When we ask how something works or how is that going to happen. We're asking thought questions. We're in our mind. How could this guy be talking to me? Her mind's spinning. He responds, verse 10, look at this. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew, we know in our minds, knew, thinking word, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him for a drink. Notice the word knew there. We know in our minds. She's thinking Jesus is appealing to her thoughts, and then Jesus says this, and here's the key word here, if you knew the truth, where do we know truth? Well, we know truth in our minds. If you knew the truth about the gift of God, that is me, if you knew me, then you would be the one who's asking me for water because I could actually give you much more than I'm asking from you. If you knew the truth, and here's the principle here that I think is really important for us, the renewing of the mind always begins when we name what's true. It can't go down into the deeper chasms of the heart without beginning with what's true, without confessing what's true. That's where Jesus goes here. He says, here's something that's true of me, and if you knew me, the question would be turned around. And here's something that's true of you. I'm the one asking for a drink, but you are actually the one who is thirsty. So we're just going to put that up here in the box as we begin up here in the top box. Jesus names what's true. We have to start there, okay? Now we're going to go down to desires. How does Jesus engage her desires? And it doesn't take long to find Jesus going to a much deeper place in her soul and to show her her thirst, her thirst for something more. I'm going to put this in the second box. Jesus identifies her thirst. That's what we're going to talk about here. Pick it up with me in verse 11. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank of it himself. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of this water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way to draw. Let's talk for just a minute about being thirsty. Um, in this context, Jesus is traveling, we know, from Judea to Galilee. It's hot, it's dry, it's arid, it's desert, going through Samaria. It is, it is of course, still today. He probably left at, at daybreak. Typically, when they would travel a long distance, they would leave at, at daybreak and travel all day to hope to get there by the following evening. With where this city is, Sakar, it's about halfway, it appears, in terms of the journey. And, um, and it's noontime. It's the sixth hour. That, that is noon. And so they've stopped to get a drink. Imagine it says here that Jesus is tired, he's weary, and he's really thirsty, sits down at a well. And we've all experienced something like that, right? Been outside working in the yard or something for a long day, and we all know what it's like, you know, that of that cool drink of water at the end of the day. That's where Jesus is. We know what it's like to be thirsty. What a great picture it is for us in the text. But Jesus, the thirsty one, sitting on the side of the well, he turns the tables on the woman by speaking to her need, not his. So his physical thirst becomes, becomes the gateway for her spiritual thirst. You tracking with me? And her need is much greater than his. She's far more thirsty than he is. She's longing for something that truly satisfies. A longing that she has not in her life been able to quench and wouldn't be able to apart from him. When he goes there with her, she responds in two ways. First, she says, give me the water. Like There's, there's desire. I desire what you're speaking of. I want the water. Then she kind of backs up a little bit. She's not real comfortable maybe with where the conversation's headed. She's not real sure. We know this. She's not real sure about what he actually means by living water. So she keeps trying to redirect the conversation back above the line and back up into the mind, living water. Huh. Well, you don't have anything to draw water with and the well's deep, Jesus. See, that's like living water. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have, you can't draw water. Thirsty, never thirst again. I am thirsty. But maybe Jesus just means that I won't have to come back to this well to, to draw water. Eternal life, that's, that's soul water. But she won't quite let her heart go there, at least not yet. And before we start looking like her, like, hey, lady, you're talking to Jesus, you might as well just go there. Before we do that, I want us to think about how uncomfortable we get when the Spirit of God is touching on a need or something that we need to change in our own life, something that's deep and vulnerable and fragile and broken. I want us to think about how quickly we, well, at least I do, go running back to my mind and try to reason my way out of it. Well, I don't know if that's the Spirit of God talking anyway, and honestly, that's not that big a deal. I've done way worse, and I just go to reason so fast when God's doing something in my heart. Amazing how quickly we do that and rationalize our behaviors. Why? So, so that we don't have to experience exposure or guilt or shame. So I go up into my head to try to think my way out of it so I don't have to stay down here where it might really hurt, right? I was in a conversation this week. Somebody looked at me that I love dearly and um, and said to me, uh, confronted me, and said to me, you, you have really hurt me in these ways, and listed them off. You imagine what that feels like. Um, it's, you've had it, I'm sure. It's, it's, it wasn't easy. 
And um, I, I, in the moment, I just needed to listen. I thanked him for it. I listened, and I've just been sitting with it this week. I said, let me get back to you. I want to get back to you, but I want to get back to you with full heart. And I can tell you this whole week, and it started that conversation, the tension between Lord Help me to go there and hold it and own what I need to own and see what you want me to see. And you're crazy, reason my way out of it. You don't know the half of it. You know, it's just that tension. And I'm trying to hold it and stay there. And that's the tension that Jesus is inviting this woman to hold. You see, even though we're thirsty, it's very difficult to allow God to quench our thirst with genuine heart change. See, we take little sips of water sometimes. Like, change my behavior. I'm not going to say that dirty word anymore. It, like, we can change some things. Just taste the water and put it back down. But to drink deep of spiritual transformation, that's hard, isn't it? It's real for her. She's not ready to go there yet, and Jesus cares way too much about her to leave her in that place, and so he engages her emotional life. This is verses 16 through 26, and I'm not going to read them again, but you can know where it's coming from. How, how does Jesus engage her emotional life? Well, Jesus goes after the most tender, vulnerable, emotional place in her life, her sin and her shame. That's where he goes. He's ever so gentle, but he goes there to that deep place. She says to him, give me the water. Jesus says to her, go get your husband. It's kind of weird, right? Like, it's pretty harsh. Jesus, like, just give her the water, you know? <laughs> like, holy cow, she just asked for the dang water. Just give it to her. Where's, where's your husband? Go get him. I want to talk a little bit about what's going on here. The, um, the woman is at the well at noon, right? She sees Jesus at the well at noon. She's alone. Um, what's interesting about this culture, and it was true for centuries, um, but what's interesting about the culture is that women went to the well in the early part of the day, in the cool of the morning, or in the cool of the evening. That's the time they went to the well. They water for the day or water for the evening, okay? Nobody went in the middle of the day. And they also went in groups. They went with their friends. You imagine those women, you know, doing yoga class together or whatever, walking together. They're going with their friends. They're going to the water. They, this is what they do. And it's a communal experience for them, this culture. Well, it wasn't for her, was it? And we find out why. It's because she's had five husbands and the one that she's lived, the man she's living with now is, is not her husband. Now today, we, we see this far more often. We know a lot of people have had multiple marriages for different reasons. Not, not all bad, right? The multiple marriages for different reasons. But in her day, she could have been killed for that. In, in her day, the max was three marriages and the first two would have had to die for you to be able to get to the third. I don't know what that means about the woman that she kills off husbands so she can get to the third. That's a whole different conversation. But, but this one is like, that's the law today. She's had five. We don't know what happened. Maybe some have died. Maybe some have divorced her. Uh, it's likely that she's very promiscuous. We don't know for sure. What we do know is that this is a mark of shame in her life. That's what we know. And we know it for sure. People in the community would have known her story, and she's so ashamed of it that she's literally trying to hide in the noonday sun. Can you imagine? She's trying to hide. I, maybe I can go at noon. No one goes there in the heat of the day. I won't drink as much today. We'll figure it out. No one will see me. 
only there's a problem, right? Jesus is sitting at the well. He speaks to her. He appeals to her part soul. And now he ever so gently goes after the most sensitive, raw, painful place in the recesses of her heart. And all she can think is, how could he know? How could he know my shame? She tries to change the subject again. This is when she goes to worship. She tries to change it again. And I'll just ask, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I would. She says, let's go talk about where we're supposed to worship. You say Jerusalem, we say Mount Gerizim, which is it? And Jesus ever so graciously guides her through a conversation about true worship and the true God and true worshipers and what it looks like. And he steers the conversation back to him, of course, who is the object of worship. He didn't share that fully with her there, but he steers it all the way back to him and he steers it back to her guilt-ridden, shame-filled, empty heart. And finally, in verse 25, she cracks. Look at it. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus looks her in the eyes and he says, I who speak to you am he. And ma'am, we're here by divine appointment. I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to heal you. I'm here to make your broken heart whole. There's no living water found in relationships with men, is there? You, you drank from that well. You continue to drink from that well. And you keep going back to the well. Why? Because you're thirsty for something else. Living water, a satisfied soul, healthy relationships, that only comes in relationship with me. I am He, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And as those words hang in the air, He invites her to make a choice. What are you going to do with me? There's nobody else here. What are you going to do with me? The source of living water. She makes a choice doesn't she? And we see it beginning in verse 28. I love the verbs here. Great way to study your Bible is just to underline the verbs and see the action in the text. Here's what she does. So the woman left her water pot. She went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is, could it be, I think it is the Christ. She made a choice. Walked right into that town square. She walked right into her guilt and shame. And what did she do? She told her story and they came. They came to see Jesus. Wow. We saw it in verse 39, but it says that many Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman. Because she told her story. Because she came out of hiding. Because her broken heart was made whole. Her choices, think about this. God changed her heart. Her choices changed a city. 
We don't know all the details here if it was Sakaar or the city next to it, but we do know that in Acts, after Jesus says to his disciples, go into all the earth, go into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, there's Samaria. I've got to separate them out because they really need the gospel. No, that's not right, but that's why they went. They went to Samaria because there were issues. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We know that after Jesus said that, that Philip went to Samaria. He went to this town called Sikar or the one right next to it, which would still make sense. And that community was one of the most receptive to the gospel message of any they went to. Now, why is that? Because the woman told her story. That's why. Because Jesus went to the well. That's why. Her choices made a huge difference. They began to transform a city. I'm going to fill in these last two boxes. We said that uh, Jesus names what's true. Jesus identifies her thirst. Jesus heals her shame. And many believed by the word of the woman. Now, let's talk about you and me for a couple of minutes. We're a lot like the woman, aren't we? We hide, we close off parts of our hearts, we resist him where it hurts, and yet we're thirsty for more than this world has to offer, aren't we? We long for the freedom that we see in the woman, for all that Jesus has to give. We long for that. So here's what I want to do in, in the way of application today. In just a minute, I'm going to take these phrases and I'm going to ask some questions that you can just personally reflect on just before the Lord, prayerfully before the Lord. I'm going to ask some questions about your own life. And I want you to think about them in these four ways. But before I go there, I want to say this. We know this. Jesus had a divine appointment. He had to go. He had a divine appointment with the woman at the well. I believe this. I believe that you have a divine appointment with Jesus here this morning. I really believe that. When the church gathers, we gather in his name. We gather to hear from him. You would not be here if you did not want something. I think Jesus wants to give you a whole heart in some way this morning. I really do. And so I'm going to ask the Spirit of God that he would guide us through this time and that he would transform our hearts. So pray with me briefly. God, would you do that? Would you guide us through this time? Would your Holy Spirit make clear what you're saying to each one of us in unique ways? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, in the story, Jesus began by naming some things that were true, right? He named something that was true about him and something that was true about her. I want you to take a minute before the Lord and I want you to name something that's true about your spiritual life right now and something that's true about the character of Jesus Christ in it, okay? something that's true about your spiritual life and something that's true about Jesus. Take just a minute and do that. In the story, Jesus identifies the woman's thirst. He asks for a drink, but she's the one that's actually thirsty. And so I'll just ask it this way before the Lord, what, what are you thirsty for right now? 
What are you thirsty for that only Jesus can give? Take a minute and answer that question. In the story, Jesus identifies the woman's shame. What is something in your life right now, let me go a little deeper here, that you're ashamed of? Maybe it's something that you're convicted about or guilty of that you need to ask forgiveness for. That'd be okay. Or maybe there's the shame that you know you need to let go of, but you just keep carrying. It's been done, it's over, but you continue to carry shame in your own life. Just can't seem to let it go. Would you give that to Christ? Just give it over to him and ask him to heal your broken heart. Take just a minute to do that. In the story, when the woman came face to face with Jesus, she made a choice. She made a choice to believe and she ran and told the town what was true. Where is it that the Spirit of God might be inviting you to make a choice today? Maybe there's something that you need to go do. Maybe there's something that you need to stop doing. Would you ask the Spirit of God to show you a a decision, a choice, an action that you can make based on what the Spirit of God has been taking you through in the depths of your heart this morning. What choice is he leading you toward? Take a minute and answer that question.
Now on the last day, the great, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. May we drink deeply of Jesus. That well that never runs dry. Go in peace.